Well, good morning. Let's uh, go right to our scripture lesson, uh, reading first of all from the Gospel of Luke. Familiar passage to many of you. Listen to God's word. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And then these words from the Apostle Paul, his second letter to the Corinthians. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Amen. Well, here we are, four days before Christmas, which means, guys, that really we have less than four days to start our Christmas shopping. I understand 7-Eleven is open late on Christmas Eve, so I'll see you there. <laughs> the race is on. Procrastinators are beginning to sweat. It's a busy season filled, filled with stress. So much to do, so little time. There's a story of how the rush of Christmas was affecting one little girl. It was the day before Christmas, and... Uh, her mother uh, was involved in a very hectic day trying to get all the Christmas preparations set. She had a thousand one things to do. She didn't pay any attention to her little daughter. On uh, the same way with her dad, uh, he had all kinds of details to attend to. And so this poor little girl was just kind of forgotten in the busyness of the day. And so finally, at the end of the day, she was hustled into bed. And this poor little girl was just feeling kind of unnerved by all this busyness and people not paying attention to her and so on. And so as she knelt down at her bedside to pray the Lord's Prayer, as she always did, she got kind of confused. And she said, forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. Which reminds me of another uh, story of a little girl in Sunday school who was creating a nativity scene with paper figures. And the pastor came into the Sunday school and asked the little girl what she was doing. And she said, can't you see? I'm making an activity scene. And 
too often our nativity celebrations are activity scenes, are they not? I mean, it's just a little bit too much going on. The pace of life is just too fast. This morning, however, I'm going to do something counterintuitive, and I'm going to recommend that you hurry. I'm going to recommend that you get into the Christmas rush. I know the last three weeks we've been talking about waiting, you know, waiting for God, waiting, being patient. But now's the time to be in a hurry. In fact, we had better be in a hurry. At least that's what the angels would tell us. It's interesting that uh, wherever angels appear in the Bible, there's a recurrent theme. They're always kind of saying the same thing. They give terse, direct commands. They're the commands of God. And more often than not, they're saying, fear not, right? Fear not, fear not. But they're saying something else as well. They say things like, hurry up, rush, quick. The words get up are sometimes used. The angel said to Peter, rise quickly. The angel said to Gideon, arise and go in this thy might. The angel said to Joseph, go quickly. And to Philip, arise and go. The angels are always telling people to rush. And I believe that that is what the angels are saying to you and to me right now. Quick, run to the manger and consider who and what this child might be. Hurry to the manger and consider the claims of Jesus Christ upon your life. Salvation is found in this child. Be reconciled to God. Salvation is found here in Christ. Know his peace and his love, joy. Experience the gift of eternal life. These are the gifts that need to be unwrapped at Christmas. Rush to the manger. There's no time to lose. When the shepherds heard the message from the angels that glorious Christmas night, they heard all that singing. They said to one another in amazement, let's go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which which the Lord has made known to us. And then Luke says, and they went and hurried off. They made haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They hurried off. They went with haste. The first Christmas rush. They were so excited by the message they heard, they ran off to see if it was really true. I mean, could it be? Has God really visited his people? Is it possible? Now, I can't imagine those shepherds, after hearing the angels and experiencing the heavenly host, saying, my, that was a great light and sound show. Maybe we ought to go to Bethlehem sometime, you know, maybe next year after sheep shearing season. Maybe that would be the time to go. Can't imagine them saying that. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So that the Christmas message is really an urgent one. In fact, it's the most urgent message anyone could ever hope to receive. The good news that God has come to save us from the power of sin and death is for us to consider and experience now. And the danger and the tragedy is that so many people 
delay in their response. They procrastinate. It's not that they're against the whole message of Christmas if they hear it for the first time, but, you know, they'll consider it later. They'll think about Christ later, what he means. Not now. Besides, you know, if I come to Christ, I might have to change my life, and I'm having too much fun right now doing my own thing. Don't want to change my ways. Later, when I'm older, then I'll think about spiritual things. Then I'll think about Christ. Maybe when I'm on my deathbed. Now, the trouble, of course, is that we may not have a lot of time. We may not have another tomorrow. None of us knows, really. The devil's strategy is to get us to think that we have forever. Well, once upon a time, the devils held a convention. And the convocator of the convention, the one who called everybody together, was the head devil himself, Satan. And he opened it by saying to his fellow devils that, uh, that they needed to come together to learn together to, what might be the best strategies to lead people astray and keep them away from a relationship with God. So the devils began to think about it, and then the devils stood up offering their suggestions. One devil stated that he thought the best plan was simply to go into the world and tell the people that there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell, no punishment, and no hereafter. But his suggestion did not meet with much approval from his fellow devils. Because they said, you know, deep down inside, most hum human beings know that there must be a God. If they look at the universe, if they see the sun and the moon and the stars and the beauty of the sky, when they look into the face of a baby, they kind of know deep down inside from beauty and from love that there must be a creator. There must be someone enabling human beings to enjoy all these things. So, no, you can't really tell people there is no God. Most people intuit it. A lot of people do. Oh, they may not admit it, but deep down inside, they know. Then another devil asked for the floor. And he said, in his opinion, the best plan is to oppose God's word and work upon earth. And to go out and tell people that the Bible is not the word of God, but only the work of human beings. And that Jesus Christ is not the only Savior, but there are many roads to heaven. And we could tell people that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it. That might work. And the devil said, I'm only doing what the devil did in the Garden of Eden and told Adam and Eve not to believe a thing God said because God's just trying to spoil your fun. God doesn't know. You can't trust the Word of God. You certainly can't trust the Bible. Well, some devils agreed that this plan was good, and others, however, did not regard it as the best plan. It was pointed out that there is in the Word of God a power that convinces its readers and hearers that it really is God's own words, that there's something about Scripture, and as you listen to the words, especially of Jesus, there's a ring of authenticity about it. It just kind of corresponds with what our hearts most need to, to know and to experience, what our minds need to hear. 
And those whose hearts have been captured by Jesus know from from experience that Jesus is who the Bible declares him to be, namely, the only Savior of the world. Well, then a, a third devil arose, and he said, you know, I tell people that the Bible is true from cover to cover, and that that Jesus is the Savior, and that you need to put your trust in Him. I tell them that they don't need to be in a hurry to accept Him, and that they can wait until later before they decide to turn to God. And when that devil had finished his suggestion, there was a roar of applause among the devils, for they knew that that was far and away the best suggestion. Just tell people that they have lots of time to consider what's true, what's most important about life. They've got forever. Procrastination. It's a great method, says the devil. Scripture says, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to get right with God by putting your trust in Jesus. This is the time of decision, and there may not ever be a better opportunity. The message of salvation in Jesus Christ is indeed an urgent one, and it calls for immediate response. It's too important not to respond. And sometimes I don't think we even, we don't think about the urgency in Jesus' words when he hit the scene, when he began his public ministry, The first thing he said was, behold, the time is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn around, and follow me. There's an urgency in Jesus' words. Hey, this is really important. It's important that you respond right away. And then later, Jesus, of course, asked that big question. Who do you say that I am? And so much was writing on the answer. But people have to answer. They need to respond sooner rather than later. Billy Graham tells a story, uh, a story that comes from the sinking of the Titanic. And, of course, you all know about the Titanic, how it was the biggest ship of its day, weighing 46,000 tons, and it was considered to be unsinkable. But on the night of April 14, 1912, while coursing through the ocean at 22 knots, the ship hit an iceberg. And because it didn't have enough lifeboats and it carried only half as many life jackets as passengers on the boat, uh, because of that, when the ship sank, 1,513 people drowned. That's just hard to imagine, isn't it? 1,513 people perished. One passenger, John Harper, was on his way to preach to um, the the folks at Moody Church in Chicago, Um, but uh, he did not make it on the lifeboat, and uh, he was cast adrift uh, in the ocean, and trying to stay afloat there in the ocean, he, he drifted toward a young man, and he called out to the young man and asked, are you saved? And the man said, no. Then a wave separated them, and after a few minutes, they drifted within speaking distance of each other, and again, Harper called out to him, 
Have you made your peace with God? And the young man responded, Not yet. And then a wave overwhelmed John Harper, and he was seen no more. But the words, Are you saved? kept ringing in the young man's ears. Two weeks later, a young person stood up in a Christian Endeavor meeting in New York, told a story and said, I am John Harper's last convert. Let me tell you a story that doesn't have so happy an ending. It's about a politician named Felix. He was governor during the first century. And before him stood a prisoner by the name of Paul. On two separate occasions, Felix listened to Paul tell his story, presenting in simple terms the matter of faith in Jesus Christ. And Felix, it seems, was interested And he was almost persuaded. He was so close to the kingdom. Felix heard every word from Paul, but in the end, he passed off the message with similar comments like, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, then I will decide your case. Or, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. The governor heard Paul, was confronted with the claims of Christ, but he procrastinated. He intentionally put off the most significant decision in his life. He listened to the wrong counsel. It was only a subtle suggestion. It wasn't a bold-faced lie like, there is no heaven, or there is no hell, there's no God. It was simply... There's no hurry. There's no rush. I'll consider the claims later. Got forever. Got time. It's dangerous, actually. We joke about procrastination. In Philadelphia, there is actually a procrastinator's club. I think I should join. It's only, uh, last I heard, you could join for about five bucks. Their publication, the publication of this club is called Last Month's Newsletter. (laughs) Last I heard, they were protesting the War of 1812. (laughs) Attempted to get the makers of the Liberty Bell to fix the crack, finally. And even traveled to Spain to raise money for three ships to discover America. Mark Twain joked, why do today what you can do the day after tomorrow? But I got to tell you, you know, actually procrastination is no joke. It can ruin you spiritually. It will not only rob you of precious time, but it can very well rob you of eternal life, present and future. This is serious stuff here. Because either, it, either Christmas happened or it didn't. Either Easter happened or it didn't. Either Jesus Christ is totally off whack, a liar, a lunatic, 
or he's Lord. And each of us has to make a decision with regard to those claims. Is Christmas real? Is there more significance to that baby in a manger than just a general celebration of love and coziness? Or has God actually come to, come to the world as a human being to save us from our sins? And if that's the reality, then everything changes. We better think about this. We better deal with this. We better come to terms with it. Now is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the time to get right with God. So if you've never done so, why, why put off experiencing the joy and the love and peace that is ours in Him if you just kind of keep Him at arm's distance all the time? And you know what? Those who come to faith in Christ later in life universally regret not having known Him earlier. Because to have Jesus in your life is to have an incredible richness that you would never have known otherwise. I mean, to have his love undergirding you as you go through all life's experiences, how invaluable is that? To find his hope and his joy and to know that you are loved no matter what and that ultimately nothing can hurt you because nothing can separate you from Christ's love. To have that kind of faith, to have that, that certainty makes all the difference in the way you live your life. And to miss out on that, to me, is one of the biggest tragedies. Why would you put it off? It may very well be that you have to change your life. He calls you to change, but it's, it's a change always for the better. Always for the better. Because when you live God's way, then you experience his joy. And deep down, that's what we all want. Not just happiness, because we know happiness is fleeting, depends on outward circumstances, but deep joy, which comes from a, a right relationship with God. It's about being recon reconciled with God through Christ the Savior. Now's the time to come to terms with that. Why put off unwrapping the greatest gift you can receive in this life, which is friendship with Christ? What a tragedy to miss out on a vital relationship with God and Christ until your deathbed, for heaven's sake, assuming you will have that opportunity. Some famous people in history have actually waited till their deathbed. You know, but what's the good of that? They could have had Christ so much earlier. They could have known such a joy. I love the old carol, What Child Is This? You guys don't know that song. What child is this? It's a slow tune. But the message is that we rush to the manger. Do you know that? Listen to the words. I won't sing it to you. I'll bless you. I'll save you. I could have Jim pull out his guitar. We could sing, but no. Listen to the words. What child is this? What child is this in the manger? Who is this? I'm adding words. What child is this? <laughs> what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. 
Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. It's all about rushing to the manger, isn't it? Story come about the first Christmas rush right there in that slow song. What child is this? We all have to ask that question of ourselves. What child is this? What do we do with him? Hasten to honor him now. If you have never decided to make him your king, do it now. Quick, this is your opportunity. There may never be a better one. Do you hear the, the Lord again knocking rather urgently at the door of your heart? You hear the knock? Hey, I'm outside, just outside. Let me in. Let me in. And I'll feast with you and you with me. And you'll enter into the fullness of life. And you will know my joy. Dear Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart to you. Enter in and be my Lord and King. Thank you for saving me from sin and death. Help me now to live for you that I may share the saving message of Christmas in word and deed with all around. And help me to do so with a sense of some urgency because it matters so much. To you, O oh God, be all the glory. Amen.